The concept for ePartrade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePartrade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing, and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePartrade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePartrade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. Good morning and uh, welcome. It is nine o'clock here in California. I am Francisque Savignan, the founder and CEO of ePartrade. Welcome to Race Industry Now, the technical and business webinar series from ePartrade presented by ARP. This is episode 118. With me this morning is Judy Kin, the co-founder of ePartrade, and the one and only Jeff Hammond. Good morning, guys. Good morning to you. Very Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And that does include you, Francis. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, Francis, it doesn't surprise me. We already have a great crowd already on with Molly Motorsports. And Jay, Joe Malish, I've worked with them for so many years, and it's just a pleasure to have them on again. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah, you have a long story with them, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So I'm getting a signal from our producer, Rick Keneski. And we are going to be bringing Joe uh, on the panel here. And we're going to let Mr. Jeff Hammond take over. And, uh, and so it's going to be a fascinating webinar today. I see Joe popping up. Uh, so we're going to ask Joe to start his camera and his on. Here it he is. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Excellent. OK, so Jeff, you're in charge. And we'll see you in about an hour. Hi, you chicken. Stick around. We, we'll put you to work. <laughs> sure. Okay. We'll hey, good morning, Joe. How you doing, good sir? Morning. Doing well. How about you? You know, I'm I'm really doing quite well, and really excited about uh, what you're going to be bringing us today, because we all know that you know if you're in any kind of uh, engine business, you understand 
I think what you're going to address today, and, and that is the material that goes into your product, how important it really is. And at the same time, the new technology that's out there each and every day is being created by companies like your, yourself, Molly. I mean, it's like you guys are, are never, you, you never cease to amaze me how you keep coming up with better. And I didn't think that was possible. I thought well, they would reach the, the outer limits many years ago. But yet you guys just, you know, you, you went to the moon and you said, oh, heck, let's just go on, let's go to the next planet, the next planet. And you just keep getting further and further into, into what I consider modern space age, age technology. So uh, what, do, what do you view, uh, what are you going to dazzle us with today and educate us on? You know, I think uh, one thing that we're going to touch on is obviously piston alloys. I think it's probably a big topic that's out there. Um, that if people aren't completely familiar with, it's where a customer could make a mistake in a buying decision um, between the different alloys that are available to them. Um, and then second, we're gonna take a look at uh, some piston failure analysis that we do here. Uh, there are a lot of times where we will get, you know, pistons that come back to our facility here in Fletcher, North Carolina, and that we'll look at them uh, just to make sure everything's going well with the customer, but. I thought today that we would look at some instances where uh, we had some failures or issues with pistons and how we take that analysis and don't just look at, okay, the piston failed, we look at the why. Well, I mean, the thing is cause and effect is, is a big deal, especially uh, when it comes to piston failure. I mean, it's, uh, is it the material? Is it what you did to the material? And I'm sure you're gonna educate us on, you know, whether it's, uh, I, I call it a normally aspirated engine, whether it's a blown engine. All these factors probably dictate what you need for your particular selection for that product, for that particular engine, correct? Correct. I mean, and there's a lot of times it can be as simple as um, something wasn't installed correctly in the assembly process. But because, and we'll look at this in a slideshow here in just a little bit, but because um, you might have a piston that completely detonated and it's just in a bunch of pieces. There's no way to really tell initially just by first glance, but um, a lot of times, you know, customers will reach out and they'll say to us, hey, I've had a major issue. I'd like for you to take a look at it. So that way I can get my customers the correct answer. We're going to kind of look at some examples of that um, and also just, you know, discuss in general back to, you know, the beginning with piston alloys and how there's different applications out there and what should be used for what questions that commonly come up with customers that uh, will call in and say, you know, hey, I got a thousand horsepower build and I want to use this type of alloy. What do you think? And then we'll start getting into it deeper with them about, well, how are you actually really going to be using this application? You know, are you going to be using it primarily as a racing application all the time? Or are you going to go to cars and coffee with your family on a Saturday morning and using it as a daily driver, you know, 60% of the time? Again, all of those things right there to me are the unanswered questions. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there right now, like myself, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this guy, as you've already pointed out, is he going to go down to the local, you know, club and hang out for the weekend? Or is he getting ready to lock and load over here at the Mooresville drag strip here and, and start making passes on Saturday and Sunday and Monday all during, the, you know, the Labor Day weekend and just, you know, run the dog out of his own gun. So, yeah, everything has its uh, has its needs and it's designed for its application. So show us the way. Sure. 
while we're while we're looking for your uh, screen to come up, what's the weather like down there, at Fletcher? Uh, we got a lot of rain from uh, the remnants of Hurricane Ida, but uh, we're looking forward to having weather back in the 70s. We're a little bit cooler than Charlotte is being up here in the mountains. We're just outside of Asheville, North Carolina. So that part of it's pretty nice. All right. Can you see that there, Jeff? I do. Okay. Um, so just basically, we're gonna look at alloys and piston failure analysis. Um, we're summary, we're just trying to cover really three areas. And that is, you know, alloys, uh, people often come to us and they'll say, uh, strongest is the best, right? You know, I want to have a strong alloy. Well, there are two major different alloys that we'll talk about, and then pieces and packaging. And that's where we would have a piston failure. And we're looking at the packaging and how that packaging actually gets back to us here uh, at our facility in Fletcher for analysis, which is very important. And I think it's just a good way to educate people out there that, hey, if this happens with one of your customers or a situation like this comes up, the best way to get it back to us for that analysis and the, and the process to do that. Um, and last, it's a little bit, you know, uh, of something that we always hear on the phone is that the piston failed, you know, it's the piston's fault. And I think we're gonna look at a few different scenarios where actually uh, there were some other things that came into play uh, something that initially when you first at glance don't, you know, you look at it and you go, well, it's got to be the piston failed. But as we look deeper and deeper into it to find the why, it reveals that actually, you know, there were different factors that contributed to its failure. So today we're going to be talking about on the bottom right, what's called a slipper skirt forge piston. Um, just to make everybody familiar with it, in the piston evolution of everything, you had early cast on your top left. And then um, you go to modern echo form cast, early style forged, CNC machine forged, and then our modern pistons that we use in racing applications for uh, anything with professional racing teams or for our power pack piston sets, which is a, a shelf stock piston set that can be purchased through you know, any distributor that we have that's out there uh, for anybody that's doing anything from you know, sportsman circle track racing to uh, drag racing or off-road racing uh, is available as well. So we get a lot of feedback from a lot of different areas, but mainly with this modern piston, you've got out of many different things with it, you got optimized low drag skirt design. And that basically means is that the piston uh, is not truly a circle, it's actually an oval. So your contact points are going to be at the, you know, on the skirt where it's uh, at the very highest point right here. Uh, and then of course at the lowest point. So it's an oval to where you're not gonna have as many contact areas uh, on the outer edges of the piston. Um, inboard pin bosses um, and a strutted underside construction. So pretty, pretty basic, simple, straightforward type of design. Uh, a lot of times people will say to us, well, your pistons are gray, you know, why is that? And um, just touching on that, that they're made, they're coated with a dry lubricant, which is phosphate. And that phosphate actually helps with um, the initial startup of the, of the motor uh, when the piston, you know, may not have uh, oil um, that, that is uh, readily available in the system. So it's actually a great way to protect the piston until everything gets up to operating temperature and operating pressure. 
And I guess just to add, you know, just looking at this here for those that aren't familiar with our pistons as well, there's a darker area area uh, on the bottom right there. It looks like a like a square, and that is graffal. It's actually um, a protectant for the skirt. It's made out of graphite, and it is screen printed onto the side of the piston skirt there. So that's just something that I think commonly people see when they go to a show or you know they're out at um, you know. Uh, a display and they come up and they see the pistons they go well, what why did what is that why is it that color and that's just a brief description of what that is and going back to the alloys there's really three types of aluminum alloys um, and they're defined by silicone content uh, we often get people on the phone that'll say that if you look at the bottom right there that i have hyper eutectic pistons and what that means is with hyper-eutectic is that, you know, you have a fully saturated uh, aluminum solution with many primary silicon crystals. So it's got a lot of silicon in it. Um, it is not gonna expand as much. And then if you look at what we really deal with primarily, the two types of piston alloys that we're dealing with here in Motorsport are gonna be your 2618 and your 4032 alloy. Okay, now what that means is, is that basically with the silicon, you've got hypoeutectic or 2618 that has a lower silicon content that's going to be in there. And with 4032, you're going to have more. Okay, so you're going to have more expansion with 2618. That's why, in some instances, on a cold start with a 2618 alloy, you'll hear it there will be a little bit of piston slap when you initially start it up and then once it comes up to temperature that all goes away 4032 uh, is not it's going to run quieter and here are the main highlights of, of basically the the two areas that we define the 2618 alloy versus 4032 2618 alloy as i said a low silicone content it has a higher expansion rate and that's that Sometimes on a cold start, you'll hear that piston slap. Increased strength, more ductility, less thermal stability. See it more in race applications, specific race applications where you're making high horsepower. Um, um, turbo boosted nitrous applications, and it does have that more potential for that piston noise, as I mentioned. And 4032 has a higher silicone content a lower expansion rate. So your piston to wall clearance is gonna require, it's gonna be less um, and that's, it's gonna have moderate strength, less ductility, more thermal stability. And you're gonna see this in passenger cars, street strip applications and moderate, you can use it with moderate power adders and quieter piston operation. So all that said, you know, what does all that mean? So if you have a customer who comes to you and they say that, hey, I'm in this situation where I want to make a thousand horsepower, but most of the time I'm really going to just be going to a car show, but I want to have that thousand horsepower. It seems to be a mark right now in the business that people want to have that. It's very important to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, we're going to ask questions. We're going to say to them, hey, what exactly are you using this for? Okay. What, what's your plan with this long term? If it's something where 
they are going to be using a lot of power adders. They're going to try to get even above a thousand horsepower. There's going to be racing it like crazy, like Jeff was talking about, going to Mooresville drag strip all the time. That's all they're going to primarily going to be do. Um, we're probably going to steer them down the road of doing, you know, a 2618. If they're going to be using it as more of a daily driver, and it's really never going to see a thousand horsepower, you know, it's going to be more in the range of, you know, 600, 700, maybe not even that because, you know, they're just, they're not going to abuse it as much. We're going to steer them towards a 4032. And that's really important when you're discussing this with your customer um, and having a conversation about it because we've had people come back to us and they've said, oh my God, I start up this motor. It's so loud. Um, I don't like it. How do I actually take horsepower out of it? Which at that point, you know, it's impossible. You know, you've, you've done it. I mean, it's, yeah. it is what it is, right? So I, I know that for some, this is really simple stuff. They see it every day. But I think, you know, just discussing with Pistons with people every day, we were at Power Tour last week, spent a lot of time talking with customers one-on-one. -on -one. This is an unknown. A lot, a, you know, it's, it's an education point to discuss different alloy types with them and what you can do with it, um, specifically with each uh, application, because there's a lot of misinformation that's out there. There's a lot of information that maybe it's just relative to that one person and they're posting it onto a forum and somebody reads that and they think that's the gospel. And if I can stress anything to anybody, it's really to get out there and you know educate your customers, if you have questions about it, please reach out to us. And we have lots of information that we can share with you on this to, to help your customer you know, learn more uh, about this. We have tech videos online as well discussing it. So to me, it's probably one of the most important points that we have out there uh, as far as choosing the right type of piston uh, when they're making that purchasing decision. Now, let me make sure I'm understanding what you're telling me or telling us. The low silicone content versus the high silicone content has nothing to do with coating. It has to do with the actual building, the initial thought process of making the piston. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Yes. Coatings, um, whether it's in, on a 2618 or a 4032 alloy, it will have phosphate on it. It will have grafol. Okay. okay, what if we were to take those away and just look at the bare piston itself, that is what really matters. And that's where, that is where really the, the difference is in the expansion rate and also how that piston reacts to the horsepower environment and the environment that it's in every time, whether that environment is harsh or whether that environment is not as bad and you're not using as many power adders, you're naturally aspirated. So, you know, 4032, you know, you're talking moderate power adders, um, it, you know, naturally aspirated and going down that road with it. Whereas 2618, it can be used in harsher environments, um, you know, basically in cup, they're using 2618. Uh, high horsepower drag racing application would be 2618. Now, uh, 4032, you can get away with instances. We know of people 
who uh, drag race uh, and that are over a thousand uh, horsepower uh, have power adders that they throw to it, and they are in that instance using a 4032. But it's just not something that we'd sit there and go if you're trying to really push it and you know say 1500 horsepower, it'd just be a no go. We're just not going to steer a customer that way because you know anytime that somebody buys some of our products, we want to make sure that they work. And there's instances where we've had people that have bought the wrong alloy, weren't educated on it, have issues with it, and you know come back and all of a sudden they've they spent a lot of time and money on something that maybe they shouldn't have had in their engine. Okay. Well, we're starting to get a few questions here, so I want to make sure we don't you know get behind on them today. Uh, regarding the differences between the 2618 and the 4032 in general, uh, how about the piston wall clearance as far as that growth is concerned or expansion rate is concerned? And James was wondering about that. Yeah, 2618 is going to have more. Um, 4032, not as much. It is outlined specifically by application uh, in our catalog or what we call an application guide. So each part number is, it's explained in there that this is the recommended minimum and this is the recommended maximum piston to wall clearance based off of alloy. And it can be different. You know, if it is a small block uh, Chevy, it could potentially be different than what you would find in say a Coyote motor. And they're all listed in there. So all you have to do is that, you know, once you, you know, once you choose your, your piston that you're gonna get, uh, that information is also going to come uh, when you when it comes with a piston box and you can look at that information there uh, but yes i mean it's it's all listed specifically to that so if you ever got lost with it or had a question uh, ultimately you can also call our our office here and we'd be happy to answer and guide you through that as well jim are these the two major piston categories that you know, molly your motorsports currently sell or is it yes or we got more there's I mean, I'm sure we more. got more, but is this, these are the kind of like the two separations of, of categories. There, there's a couple more, but these are the two major ones that we work with routinely uh, at about 90% of what we're selling that's out there. Um, you'll, you'll see others that, or, that are out there or mentioned, but just to simplify it, I mean, this is these are the main two that you're that engine builders are going to be working with out there that people see um it might be called different things high expansion low expansion something to that effect you know that might be out there used in um, marketing but to us these are the two main ones and uh, while we're on the subject of questions uh john would like to know with na cup engines it seems that the 432 alloy would be a good choice right i mean it just all depends on what you know they're asking for and, and that is that is more of an area that you know it's almost like a private label we do a lot of private label work with companies and with customers and if they are specifically requesting that they want to have a 2618 alloy used for that specific application um, we'll advise them, but ultimately it is their decision. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on what, you know, the, what the customer 
is requesting and what they want. I think you know one of the one of the things I'd be curious about, and if you're educating me right now, you give me a lot of um, characteristics and how they differ. But if you if you try if you put a forty thirty tube type piston in an engine that's going to be beat up a little bit, you would probably what run more of a risk of product failure. Whereas if you put a 2618 in one that you just kind of going around and down the street, you just spent more money you didn't need to. Would that would that be a way to differentiate? That's perfect. I mean, what it comes down to is, you know, in real, real high horsepower applications, 2618 is more forgiving. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to pay for it. I mean, it's got it's got the stuff in there to help protect itself. Whereas the 4032 is not designed to take that abuse on, on that, you know, in certain applications, it's not, it's not supposed right. to do it. Right. Yeah, that, that's correct. And then there's other, there are, there's other, there's other things that would fall into that. There's certain instances where you might have a top anodized ring groove on a 2618 mm -hmm. alloy. Um, that's, can also help that that top ring groove um, against the potential of micro welding uh, on the ring because you are going to be putting it in such a harsh environment. So right. yeah, and and that ups the cost and that increases the cost to it. Uh, but you know the main point of it is is hey, don't don't let this be like the gospel of the way it is because there's always what I've learned, at least with motors, there's so many different types of motors that there's always a point to have that discussion about what's going on with your specific application before you make your decision. Does that make any sense? I mean, Absolutely. I, I've, I've, I've always told people this, and I, I mentioned this in an article, is just stop for a second, step back, and go, what are we trying to accomplish here at the end of the day? I mean, are we trying to have a car that, you know, is going to be, you know, a hot rod that I want to pass on to my son or my daughter, mm -hmm. you know, or is it going to be a car that I'm only going to have it in the trailer, I'm going to put a lot of nitrous to it, and I'm going to take it to the racetrack only and just try to just set every record that I possibly can. Those are the conversations that you got to step back and think about long term of what you're trying to do. And that in line is where you try to get the answer of, Hey, this is the alloy I need to use. Now, when you say that that the type you need to, you need to use, um, hang on here a second. I've got some. We got so many uh, questions coming in. I got to sort some of them out here. Um, James was wanting to know, and this is something we talked about and touched on earlier when I asked one question, but is the silicone the element that's primarily responsible for the difference in the piston properties? Now that he, he understands and expects that there are other alloys and each uh, element uh, is, is probably the, like, like the, you know, the salt and pepper, but this is the main meat and potatoes as far as this, this deal is concerned. Is that sil silicone and the amount that's in the 2618 versus the 4032. And a follow-up question also I want to go ahead and throw in there while we're answering this one would be, uh, Doug was wondering, 
are there car manufacturers that use the 4032 as a, like a standard, you know, for their production cars? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the answer to the first question is imagine that you have water and that you're pouring salt into it, into a cup of water. And that would be like your silicone. Okay. So the more that you pour in there, okay, that's the more that you're adding to it, the more that you're having in there into that solution. Okay. And that is in to James' question, yes, that, that's basically what you're doing is you're you're just putting more salt into the water, okay? Um, and then second, with car ma manufacturers with the OEs, yes, they do use 4032 for, for general manufacturing if they request it, mm -hmm. which is a huge process. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that. You know, they're going to take it and they're gonna beat that car to, I mean, I, I've heard stories that I'm like, you know, they would take it around a road course 10 times as hard as they can. And then they would take it down the drag strip 20 times as hard as they can, uh, drive it all around. I mean, and do this for days and days and days on end uh, just to gather information and get feedback on, you know, what, what's gonna hold up the best for our customers long-term. And that's just the tip of the iceberg on top of driving it all over you know the country so yeah they're they're definitely going to make a, a very measured decision with it but yes they do use 4032 and oe production okay i got a question here also this came in here from john and, and he was also going back to the 4032 and talking about the clearances and the ring control seem to be better given the thermal expansion characteristics and then after long running oil contamination, which could cause this uh, detonation and ruin the piston. You know, he said just, he did not quite understand, I guess the uh, not giving the secrets to the team. So the general question is geared to high powered engines that, you know, need um, to be able to run long distances is, can you address that? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, 4032, is going to be used for something that um, you're going to get longer duration out of. Okay. Uh, and reference to the rings. Yeah, I, I do see that, you know, um, with that concept. But if everything is set up correctly with a 2618 alloy and everything is good in that environment, you can have a sustained uh, good situation. Uh, with the engine for 2618. Um, but long-term 4032, it is going to last, it, it can potentially last longer in that instance. Yes, I do see, see that. And Walt was wondering, are all your pistons available in both alloys as far as I guess no. the design? No. Um, a lot of them, and it just depends on the feedback that we're getting from customers. If we're seeing a demand for a certain type of alloy, then we will. We will increase that. So if you look at a lot of what we do with small block Ford flat tops, we do have a lot of that listed in multiple alloys. And when you look through the catalog, you can see it because the part number will be in black and then down below it, it'll be in blue. And that's a simple way for us to see that, hey, it's available in both. 
There's other instances where it's only available in 4032 because that is again, you know, what, what we're seeing that's selling and what the customer wants. And Rick Bailey would like to know, what if any is the weight difference between 4032 and a 2618? Um, you got me on that one. I would honestly have to just really look at that and study that. I'm not, I'm not gonna, um, I've never had that asked to me before, but give me a second here. You're going to have you know, just so you so you know that just, a lot of people are enjoying our, our dialogue. Yeah, just looking at it here, 2618 is going to weigh a little bit more. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. You know, typically, so let's say you got a small block Ford piston. Um, one would weigh 425 grams <laughs> and the next one would weigh 413. You know, that are exactly the same. So in that instance, about 12 grams difference. Well, John, thank you for, for helping uh, Joe out. He just sent me the uh, the specs on it. The 40, 4032 is 26.9 grams CM3, and the uh, 2618 is 28, not 28, 2.8. I said 28. It's 2.8, 2.69 um, grams. So uh, there you go. We got, we got help out there. Well, good. They're, they're paying attention. No, that's good. Um... I do have about 14 more slides that I've got to get. Through. Yeah, go right ahead. If everybody's good with that. I mean, if there's any other good questions that you see out there about alloy, I'm happy to answer it. But I thought we'd discuss a little bit about piston failure analysis here and just get through that. So piston failure analysis, Right, I mean, it's the piston's fault. I mean, look at it, it's junk. And- Affirmative, it's junk. It's junk, right? It's junk. So this is, uh, this is typical of, you know, something that we may get back. Um, here at Molly Motorsport, and that a customer will call up and say, hey, I've had this catastrophic problem. I had this major issue, you know, I need help, you know, what, I don't understand what happened. I feel like I did everything right on the assembly part, uh, or it'll be a customer and, you know, they're upset and they're talking with their, um, their engine builder. The engine builder feels like, hey, you know, I, I think I did everything right, but, you know, just to make sure in looking at this, let's, let's send this in and let's just go over it and just see what happened. And you look at it and of course, all around the top of the piston, you have all these issues that are to it. I don't know if you guys can see my arrow at all. Um, oh yes. But you, you see all these, these different issues with it. But when we look right here, right along here, you can see where it's almost like a shoulder has developed. Right. Um, this is uh, indicative of a circlip that wasn't installed correctly, had popped out, and then the pin started walking. Right. And it starts walking out, walking out, walking out. And then it gets right here to the shoulder, starts leaning on the shoulder here. And then from there, it goes a little bit further. Um, sometimes it can be you know, completely catastrophic. In this instance here, you know, this is what we got back uh, from the builder. 
So from there, we can you know write up a report um, exactly what happened. And I have another instance here where it happened in greater detail. Um, and this is one right here. So this is a big block Chevy bracket motor. Uh, we had catastrophic damage to one of the pistons. Um, total runtime, approximately 20 minutes at the track. Made one complete pass before it failed on the second time trial. Um, the RPMs did not exceed 6,000. And it left the starting line at idle. So out of that little bag that you see on the bottom right there, and this is excellent because when we do have something like this sent back to us, it's great to have it sent back basically how it was taken out of the motor and then having every single you know, cylinder numbered either with the box or anything mm -hmm. like that. So that way we can take a look at it and reconstruct it of how it would be. And of course you see everything there in the baggie, that, that's perfect, okay? That, if it can be you know, even tied up even tighter, that, that works for us. Um, I mean, yes, we've had people that just toss all those pieces into a box and send it back to us and then want, it, want us to figure it out when everything's falling all around inside of it. Um, in this instant here, instance here, uh, the first thing we started looking at was, well, not one of the first things, but something that came across that came up was uh, looking at the circlip and looking at the wear that you're seeing on the circlip. So here's one of them that came out of the motor from that detonated piston. And you can see wear right here on this, this top mark here. On the second one, we have wear that's more pronounced here as well as here. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the top of the circlip, it's not there. So this is something that shows us basically that that circlip was not installed correctly. We've got one here. We lay it over top here. You can see that one that came out of the motor is smaller. So that's telling us that it was installed, it was compressed. The other one, not as much. So from that bag of parts, um, and that was just one area of going down that road. There's other areas where we'll actually start reconstructing the pieces of the piston and looking at, you know, do we have something on the skirt that shows where? Uh, do we have something in another area where there was a failure on the ring? Um, what were the issues that we potentially had with that? So um, two instances where, you know, because the, the circlip was not installed all the way that it caused catastrophic damage to that. Uh, we do sell tools to properly install those. Uh, it is something that, you know, we come across from time to time with customers that'll say to us, hey, I'm having a hard time trying to, you know, install this circlip. Uh, we sell them for a 927 pin and a 990 pin where basically it's like a press and it helps you press that circlip in there correctly rather than just trying to use a screwdriver or the end of the screwdriver and then you scratch up your, your piston and have issues with that. Um, I see Jeff smiling. He's probably been down that road and, and done <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So um, just advisable, you know, if you get a flat surface to press up onto that clip and, and push that in there evenly, that's really the route and the way to go. You know, again, just take a, take a second, step back, you know, get the correct tool to do that, get it in there correctly because, you know, cutting that corner, you know, caused a lot of damage to a motor um, 
and in, in the end, you know, it's 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 costly. So uh, two instances where we had something like that happen. Um, this next instance here is uh, it's an interesting one. Um, this is a 6.4 Hemi, some brief running time on it. Uh, customer, you know, doesn't again. What happened? I don't understand. I feel like I installed everything correctly. Um, and we had the two pistons come back. So bottom right is labeled number two. And this one next to it is labeled four. The rest of them are not labeled as anything. So that doesn't help us always. I mean, if you had a customer who had an issue or if you yourself had an issue with it, uh, to label it correctly, it's helpful if we know each one, what cylinder it's in. So when it's sent in, it can you know be examined correctly. Uh, take take any of the guesswork out of it. Uh, but as we dive deeper, if you were to look at piston number two, you look at the top here. There's the large chunk taken out of the top of the piston. Same with here on number four. And we've got some other areas here that are distressed. Little area right here taken out. Uh, as we start looking at it deeper, again some closer up looks. But I think as we start showing closer and closer pictures, it's going to start revealing itself what the issue was here. And we do, for this set, have a Napier second ring. And if you look right here, this is the top ring. And it's a Napier second. So what happened was, uh, basically six out of eight pistons. Okay, six out of eight pistons. Um, they took the second ring and installed it into where the top ring goes. Mm. No. The other thing that occurred was you, an other clue that we had that came up was we had. Uh, Basically, the ring was budding right here. This is where they're, they're, the end of it's just bouncing around or stuck in there, causing tension. Okay. And now it can't move. It can't turn. It can't function and go anywhere. So, because it's doing that, it starts abusing the top of the piston crown. And that's where you get your chunks that are coming out. And to even go further, on the left, this is where the Napier second was. You have mm -hmm. your compression ring in the wrong spot as well. And just diagramming of how it's going up against the, the cylinder wall, you can see it's really pressed in hard into the cylinder wall. And we've got stuff that's just not lined up correctly here. It's just not how it was designed to work leads to, again, a failure in the piston. Um, I think that one thing that commonly happens, and I, I think a lot of people would agree with this feedback, we, whatever it is, we all get excited when we get that package in the mail, right? You know, you get that set of pistons and you wanna lay everything out. So it's all out, you can look at it, make sure it's all there, start, you know, measuring, gapping, looking at everything, and something that commonly happens 
is even though it's labeled in the packaging, cylinder one, two, and three, okay, um, people pull that out, lay it on the table, take the packaging, throw it away, okay? And then it leads to, well, what, what rings what? I don't know. I can't remember how it came out of the packaging. It's not labeled on the rings. It doesn't say one, two, or three on it. Uh, we get that phone call every day. I mean, it's just something that does happen. Mm -hmm. um, in this instant here, the, it, the gentleman just had a day where, I don't know, maybe there were distractions, maybe things were going on, but six out of eight of those, those pistons had it where it wasn't installed correctly and um, led to a lot of issues um, that he had. And I, I know you probably have some questions coming in, so I'm happy to answer any of those that might be popping up. So, so far, we've been pretty lucky. Uh, I think everybody's kind of like everybody else. They're, they're watching and seeing this here and kind of like probably like myself in, in disbelief, but at the same time, total understanding, because if you've been around engine people, you know, like I have my entire life and career, there's some people that they can they can build an engine in their sleep. It doesn't matter. But you still have those who are still learning and they are easily distracted and they get confused and yet they will not pick up the phone and call people until it's too late yeah and, and I, you I got think you got a thirty thousand dollar you know disaster yeah and i think that you know the reason why i'm sharing a lot of this information that we're seeing is that with the pandemic, a lot of people's behavior has changed with, instead of going out to the movies or going out to dinner, they're working on the house project or they're working on that, that car project that they could just never get mm -hmm. to. And we're seeing a lot more people trying to, you know, build motors themselves. And we're running into this issue, you know, more and more. And even though that we have all the instructions that are in there, everything that's there, um, it can still happen. And again, if there's, there's ways to educate people or bring it up and make people aware that, Hey, this is how, you know, we're trying to deal with it. And this is what we're seeing. If we can help out anybody that that's out there or come across it, or if you're an engine builder and you know, you're like, gosh, why, why did I have this catastrophic failure? And maybe there's some examples in here that'll go, okay, this is, this is something that I definitely saw in the past. Now I know maybe this is what happened, but um it's all kind of reconstructing you know a crime scene in a way you know what exactly happened what occurred um what was the issue so i've just got a couple more examples here that i think people will find interesting well answer answer this question for james in real quick because it came in just a second ago what is the purpose of the groove in the piston between the top and the second ring groove yeah, the accumulator groove uh, is basically, you know, to help with oil um, and basically to help with the function of oil and, and gases, you know, in between the, the top ring and the second ring. So it accumulates basically in that area rather than just being flat and potentially up against the cylinder wall. Okay. Um, I pulled this one just because there's one thing that's on here that I wanted to just relay and it kind of stands out that maybe it's not obvious instantly. 
Um, but what happened with this one, it was a Duramax diesel, thousand miles broken camshaft, okay? Uh, but the customer, what he did was he wanted to have the pistons looked at and before he sent them to us, he washed them. And because he washed them, it, it actually hurts us from understanding and seeing what issues he may have had with the piston. You know, there was probably, obviously, you look at the top ring, there was probably um, more residue that was up there. Uh, you've also got, uh, there's a picture on the top right right here where you have a little piece of metal pocket right here starting to come out. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing that we could really conclude from this was due to you know, pressure spikes in the motor uh, that it started causing these issues to happen. It was inconclusive otherwise. And that was just because, you know, if you've got an engine failure or a piston failure or something to that, that effect, um, don't go and clean it. You know, again, it's, it's like a, a crime scene or whatever happened there. We can take that, all that information, it, it really helps. Um, and it helps us, you know, make a more uh, educated reconstruction of what occurred. So in this instance here, it was obvious, you know, we recommended that he goes ahead and uh, replaces the pistons, but um, just something that can come up that maybe, hey, I want to take the extra step and help these guys out and clean up these pistons before I send it back. Actually, don't do that. You know, it's better off that we get it where it was in, in its natural state so we can take a look at it. And this is leading into this. This is where it's another example where, okay, the customer didn't clean them. We got them in their natural state and it did help um, to understand what occurred here. So this came out of a um, 2007 5.3 LS and 12,000 miles on it, some towing, um, about five pounds of boost to it. And if you look at the pistons, obviously that it doesn't look like they are in a very happy place, very dark. And what occurred with this was um, it had nothing to do with the piston. The customer was actually complaining that the first time around he had knocking that occurred with the pistons, uh, bought a brand new set, the recommendations for uh, piston a wall was, was he called us up one-on-one. -on -one. We said, hey, this is what you, we want your piston to wall clearance to be. He did it to that, uh, drove it after, you know, a thousand miles, 1200 miles. He came back to us and said, hey, I'm having the same problem. I'm really upset about this. Um, can I just send you the pistons this time for examination? And we're looking at it. And what we're seeing here is, I think it's maybe given away to some a little bit, but because it's so dark, um, we had a couple of things that occurred. Uh, number one, technically, I mean, you don't wanna have a surface like this on your rings where when you gap them, that it, it looks like this, it, it needs to be completely square. Uh, we're seeing you know, other scarring, basically to the rings, as well as, you know, material being taken away from the ring, as well as right here with the fretting on here, uh, basically more material being pulled away off of the piston ring surface. And, you know, just to conclude, you know, basically what happened with this is the tuning and the injectors were just dumping fuel into the combustion chamber. And that was getting 
down into the rings and the fuel was actually taking away material off the, the piston rings themselves um, and then getting down below it causing even further damage and that was just basically because you had such a large amount of fuel that was in there that it was taking away from the materials that would normally be in that environment on the rings and on the piston and taking away from its capacity to operate normally. So an instance where he had in issues with his injectors and that led to the issues with the pistons. But what happens often is somebody will take apart their motor, they go right to the pistons because that's where basically everything happens and that's where everything occurs. And you look at that and go, that's gotta be the issue. Something's not right here. I'm also having a knocking sound in the motor. I was told to have this piston the wall clearance. That's gotta be the problem. But when we go down the road and look at it further mm -hmm. and look at it at a real minute level, uh, it comes back and it's all pretty clear. Um, This is a uh, small block Ford dirt late model motor, uh, catastrophic single piston failure at 35 laps. And it looks like all these pieces here, but again, it, the more we can get back, the better off it is. And we were able to pull up the drawing and look at after finding these pieces in here that you've got these two areas of the piston that are right here. And when they came apart, it looks like they were basically just sheared right off, cut right off. Um, the best of our knowledge and what we could examine with it, again, it seemed like uh, a situation where the pin came out and when it was walking itself back, it started swinging back and forth in there and then knocked those lobes off right there. Uh, but again, the more that we can get back, even if it is, you know, something like this, we will go and work through it. And we, I've had other examples that um, I was going to include with this slide, but there was a lot to it and I didn't want to run way too long with it. But there's been other instances where we've had larger pieces and been able to reconstruct the piston and see that on the skirt, we had issues with it, uh, twisting and turning in, in the, in the bore and it led to you know, the fact that we found out that the bore was having an issue. So anytime we can get anything back, even if it's in a state like this, we can work with it and start to reconstruct and start to figure things out. So small block Chevy Sportsman uh, circle track had two dyno poles on it. They did 25 to 30 laps on a 3 8 oval. And they sent this back to us and they felt like that the pin had a, a failure to it because of course I think a lot of times if we see something like that we'll see it where it's you know sheared in half or broken right up here in half things of that nature or there you know where lubrication issues that occurred with it you'll see it where, you know where it seizes up or you know of course with the rod um, if there's lack of oil and it breaks there we would see you know lack of oil right there in that area and having issues with it, which are all, you know, when you initially look at it, granted, yes, I, I could see that, you know, that that, that could occur was the pin's fault. Um, 
But once we start looking closer, and this was an instance where we actually got the rod back. A lot of times we normally just only get the pistons, but in this situation here, the customer also sent the rods back to us, which was actually really helpful. Um, we started looking at the bolts down here. And if you look at how open this gap is over here, it's showing us that this, this bolt right here had a failure, started opening up further and further back. And then from there, we can start looking at, you know, the propagation that you're seeing in this area right here in the bottom picture, stress, turn back, breaking. And then from there, you're in a sense, kind of off to the races into having a failure. And um, we're able to communicate that with the, the customer and discuss that with them, which, you know, sometimes those, those phone calls aren't always pleasant, but again, they're, they're a discussion that, you know, we feel like, you know, it's great feedback for them going down the road in the future. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's something that they were over torquing and that's where the issue was. Uh, maybe it was something that, you know, again, um, you know, it's a, a stock series and those are the bolts that they have to run. And maybe that's an issue that needs to be, you know, made aware to the sanctioning body that, you know, is having it at a, at a sportsman level. Hey, this is a potential issue down the road for other people that, that are building motors like that out there. So uh, anytime we can get, you know, some of that extra information, it's always beneficial and helpful to the design engineers when they're, they're breaking this down. And this one, we've had people ask us pretty straightforward, you know, is this a material defect? Well, when you're, you know, when you're in a situation where you're either tuning it to the max or just creating an environment for the piston that it can't sustain any way to live, it, it's not really a material defect. It's just something where it's not going to work. And um, it's not the piston's fault. It's outside forces that are, you know, causing it to fail, um, you know, too much boost, uh, a tune that's incorrect. Again, those variables fall into it. And uh, this is one that we had come back and the customer was asking, hey, did I, did I have a material defect in this? And no, you know, for the other thousands that are out there, there hasn't been an issue. It was something that once we look deeper with it, that, hey, this was, this was really what the problem was, is uh, it lied more with the tune and what they were trying to do with that piston. We get, excuse me, we got a couple of minutes left here, uh, Joe, and I want to make sure I try to touch a little bit on some of the questions that have come in during this last part of your presentation, if you don't mind. And and one of them happens to do, Doug, Doug Ingram, Ingram threw a little bit of humor and he said, hmm, it looks like archaeology, assembling dinosaur bones. You know, when you see all this stuff here like it is, like, where does this piece go and, and which one came first, you know, you know, the chicken or the egg type deal. But um, Walt also had a uh, comment on it. He said, all those destroyed pistons in small pieces, uh, the four series alloy. And he said, does the 2816 alloy come apart like that? Uh, either one will come, a, come apart like that if something is not um, installed correctly. So it doesn't matter whether it's 4032 or 2618. Um, if you're in an environment and that motor's running at 9,000 RPM and that pin comes out, it it can, it can just 
go into a million little pieces. So at that point, we're not so much looking at the alloy, but we're trying to recreate, you know, what happened here, uh, what occurred. Um, do we have an issue on assembly? Do we have an issue with the tune? Um, was it a fuel mixture issue? Did we not do um, the ring gap correctly? All those questions are going into it. And, you know, we keep all these reports on file. It's something that, you know, over time that the guys can always refer to, look at um, for internal use and make a more educated uh, decision on what occurred. So that way we can talk with the customer, educate them and talk with them. So that way going forward, they're not making um, the same, you know, mistake. Well, Jim, thank you very much for being a part of the Epartrate um, seminar here today. And thank the folks at ARP for being a part of us. Francis, I think that we have definitely done an autopsy on pistons and, and the cause and effect, uh, hopefully a lot of our, our viewers and what will be saved in posterity again. Thank you for your time, Joe. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And hopefully, you know, we've, uh, we've educated some people and gave them a better understanding of what to expect when they do wrong. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, uh, being on today and being part of this platform. Joe, I know how busy you are, so thank you. <laughs> you we appreciate, I, I appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Anytime. So, yeah, brilliant job. Uh, the webinar has been recorded, so it will be posted on the ePortrait platform later today, as well as on our YouTube channel. Joe, we pushed Maddie's Piston back on the homepage of ePortrait. We will be back next week uh, at nine o'clock. Now, we're going to do something special that we have never done before, Jeff. And we've been asked and asked and asked again and again and again, could you guys do a, a presentation of the ePortrait platform and the story behind it and, and all the tech, everything you're doing. So we're going to do uh, something I've never done before. So next week, we're going to be uh, doing a special on, uh, on ePortrait and ask all the questions you might have. And so please join us, invite your friend. We'll do a little demo of all the tools we build for this industry. And then we'll go back the week after that on our regular series of, uh, of tech webinars. So thank you very much for joining us today. And let's go racing. Thank you. Have a good day. Registering on ePartrade is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePartrade as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now, and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePartrade.